0: John Rutter was born in London in 1945, which makes him 70 years old this year, I guess. He composed his first choral piece when he was 22 years old and a student, and in the last 50 years, he has become probably the greatest living composer of sacred choral music in Christendom. I can't think of a greater. Some church musicians say that John Rudder, in the last 25 years of the 20th century, almost single-handedly rescued sacred choral music from extinction after it had almost been killed off in the 70s and 80s by guitars, boomboxes, and snare drums. He wrote his requiem in 1985 for his father, who had died two years before that. Mr. Rudder says, My father loved music and had a good musical ear, actually, but he was a chemist and had no formal musical training. So when I sat down to write my requiem, I wanted to write something that would please him if he were sitting in the front pew. Before he even began composing this piece, he'd invited a friend of his, a choir director from a Methodist church in Sacramento, to give the first performance. So this choir he was writing his requiem for was a choir, just like ours, very accomplished musicians, but not professionals, volunteers, rather, and Mr. Rudder wrote a piece that they could excel with. While he was writing this, he saw faces like yours in his mind's eye." Mr. Rudder has always been known for music which is, in his own words, fairly inclusive. And I love the word he uses there, fairly inclusive. That is to say, in contrast to the exclusivity of, let's say, Bartok or Stravinsky, which is pretty difficult. As you've already heard, the rudder requiem is filled with darkness and light, despair and hope, the minor and the major, jarring dissonance and sweet melody with death and with life. And at this particular time in my life, I'm finding that the darker, more discordant passages in this piece are speaking to my soul with greater resonance and poignance. Perhaps because it seems to me that I've spent a lot of my life in the last few weeks in dark places like the intensive care unit at Evanston Hospital and the hospice unit in Glenview and in the living room of my friend which is beautiful and sun-washed but also sad because he died there in a hospital bed. I've only been here a year but in that very short space of time I've actually made some very good friends. And in the last six weeks, four of them have died, Eddie, Bill, Steve, and John. And since I've been spending so much time in dark places, the somber Agnus day, the fifth movement, which we'll hear in a moment, feels like a timely gift from God to me. It's healing therapy for my broken heart. And when it comes along, I hope you'll pay attention not just to the message, but also to the medium, to what it says, but also how it gets its point across, because the Agnus Dei is a six-minute long, yet comprehensive catechism of the church's ancient teaching about death and resurrection. In six minutes, Mr. Rudder's Agnus Dei gives us death the problem, death the question, death the complaint, death The answer, and finally, the resurrection victory. The problem from the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. Man that is born of woman hath but a short time to live, and is full of misery. He cometh up and is cut down like a flower. He fleeth, as it were, a shadow. That's the problem that prompts the question, of whom then shall we seek for succor? Over and over and over again, the women ask the question, where will we find help? Whoever in this universe will help us. Of whom shall we seek for succor? And while the women are asking this question, the men are voicing the complaint beneath. Again, from the Book of Common Prayer, 1662. In the midst of life, they plea, we are in death. Even in our happiest days, even at the zenith of health, in the midst of life, we are in death. We are besieged by death. And the women's question keeps coming back and cycling round and round till it builds to a desperate pleading crescendo. Of whom shall we seek for succor? Whom, they plead. But then comes the answer to this desperate plea. Actually, it's been there all along. Of whom shall we seek for succor? On you stay, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He will help us. And then with a motif from the flute, everything makes a turn towards rest and quiet and light. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. And whosoever believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. This decisive victory of resurrection over death through Jesus Christ. And can I tell you how much this means to this choir and to Lisa and to me at this particular time in our journey? In the midst of life, we are in death, is the prayer book's plaintive plea. But in his resurrection, Jesus turns this plea into a brave affirmation of faith. In the midst of death, we are in life. We felt it. We've experienced it this week. In the midst of death, we are in life. Do you know Emily Dickinson's poem? I've heard an organ talk sometimes in a cathedral aisle and understood no word it said, yet held my breath the while and risen up and gone away, a more adoring girl, yet know not what was done to me in that old chapel aisle. We've been so blessed to have John Bryant among us these last four years. Because of John Bryant, we've heard an organ talk sometimes in a cathedral aisle and understood no word it said, yet held our breath a while. And so this whole worship service Is a long song of thanksgiving to God for God's gift to us of John Bryant. And so, at the end of this worship service, we're going to break a sacred, solemn, serious, usually splinter-proof law of Christian literature. We are going to sing Alleluia during Lent. Now, if you were raised a Roman Catholic or an Episcopalian or, as Joe reminds me, also a Lutheran, you know that this is just never done. You do not sing Alleluia's during Lent. It's rude. It's bad manners. It's like using the salad fork on the entree. In Christian churches, we put our Alleluia's away on the last Sunday before Ash Wednesday and take them out of the closet again on Easter Sunday. Lent is too sad a time for alleluia's but here at our church we've been so blessed that at the death of our friend John we are compelled to sing alleluia during Lent don't tell the people across the street that we're doing this (laughs) they will faint on the floor in their own sanctuary but we've been too blessed to be silent When in our music God is glorified and adoration leaves no room for pride, it is as though the whole creation cried, Alleluia. Let every instrument be tuned for praise. Let all rejoice who have a voice to raise. And may God give us faith to sing always. Alleluia. Amen.